0: So today is a uh, the start of a new sermon series, and uh, as Pastor Travis said, we're we're always pretty excited to start a new sermon series, kind of enter into a new territory of the Bible. But I'll be honest with you: um, for the last few weeks, and even the last few months, uh, every time I come up to preach, I've asked myself a question, and it's a question that's kind of plagued me. And I'm willing to bet more than a handful of people have been asking the same question about me as we come up to preach each week. Each week. Why aren't we talking about what's going on in the world? Like, why aren't we talking about Hamas and Palestine and what's going on with Israel? Like, Why aren't we talking about the vaccine and, and vaccine passports and the fact that our governor is breaking her own COVID laws. I mean, why aren't we talking about immigration and what's going on at the border and, and the, 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 the human plight that's going on down there? Why aren't we talking about the Equality Act and what that could possibly mean for religious freedoms? Why aren't we talking about Black Lives Matter and tra- transgender rights and, and, and doing a better job of empowering women? Why aren't we talking about these things? I'll be honest with you. It's, it's not because I don't have very clear opinions on these things. If you know me, you know that I I very much do. The reason that we don't is because during this time, for this hour, in this space, among this people, this platform and this pulpit is used for preaching the word of God. And that's what we're going to do, thank you. And that's what, yeah, cool. I know my community. Believe me, I know what buttons to push. I know how to come and I know what to say to get us all fired up. But I would rather not come here and polarize the church with my opinions to get people fired up. I'd rather just open up and be fed by the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to do. So this Number uh, next number of weeks, through the month of June, we're going to be walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians together. So if you haven't turned there yet, please turn there in your Bibles. Go ahead and put a bookmark there. That's where we are going to be through the month of June. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul, who wrote this letter, he uses this phrase, by God, a number of times. And it's always connected to something. And each week in this sermon series, we're going to be seeing one of those words that is connected to this. Um, So this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be Loved by God as we walk through the first chapter together. But as you're turning there, let me just remind us all of a certain context. Whenever we read the pages of the New Testament, I think we quickly forget that the New Testament was written during the time of the Roman occupation. When Rome dominated the Western world. And to go against, to speak against Rome was a capital offense you would be killed for that. The emperor was to be venerated as a god and you were supposed to give them alms and, and, and salute them and honor them. And like, this was the environment that the church was birthed in. This was the environment that the church began to thrive in. And you know, I think so often we look at what's going on in the world and we just lose perspective. Like we live in a place where we get to celebrate on an annual basis our independence, our freedom, and then a weekend like this, we rightfully get to honor those who have given their lives to maintain that freedom, and we do that at peace and we say thank you to our fallen heroes and to their families. But sometimes I, th- I think we just we lose perspective. Like the New Testament writers they didn't get to celebrate independence. They didn't get get to celebrate openly and freely freedom fighters who maintained their freedom. There was no freedom. There was no free speech. And yet, these people, we just see time and again, they are just so joyful. They're kingdom focused. When they didn't have a fraction of the freedoms that we did. And they show us something. They teach us something. And by the Holy Spirit, they still speak to us. And as we walk through our text today, be reminded of this, that these were people who, if they were to speak against their government, it would mean their death. If they were to say that Jesus was higher than their, than their governing authorities, that meant death. We say that so casually. And I am thankful that we live in the greatest country that's ever existed. I'm thankful that we get to celebrate the things that we do, that I get to speak so freely about Jesus and talk about how Jesus is greater than President Biden without fear of real retribution. I'm thankful for these things. But as we walk through this text, especially on a day like today, we should be reminded of the great contrast between the freedoms we have versus the lack of freedoms that we see of people here that they didn't get to enjoy. So 1 Thessalonians, here's some context for you. Written by the Apostle Paul with a a group of fellow church planters. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonians, to the church in Thessalonica, a church that he actually planted. And he planted not, not much earlier than what this w- book was written. But after he planted this church, we're gonna find out that some things happened and he had to make a quick exit. And so he writes back to them to clarify some things about Christian living and the hope that we have. Now Thessalonica was found in a place back then that was called Macedonia. This town is actually still around today, except now we call it Thessaloniki, and it's in the country of Greece. So a real place from real history that we can still visit today, which I think is kind of cool. So, here we go. Hear the word of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. from God, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is God's word, everyone. Let's pray, and then we'll get to it. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we ask and we pray that by the power and presence and by the peace of the Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see your truth. A heart to receive it and a spirit to respond. And Father, we do thank you on this Memorial Day. We are mindful of the men and women who have given their lives to maintain a freedom that we get to enjoy. We thank you for their family. We thank you for their sacrifice. And Lord, it does ultimately remind us, Father, that even though we have men and women who gave their lives to offer and to maintain our freedom, Lord, we have a Savior who died to offer us salvation. And we pray these things in his name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 All right, so I'll tell you what. As we open up the pages of First Thessalonians, I think right off the bat, one of the things that the Thessalonians would have gotten right away, because I think it's so clear when we read these pages, is how much Paul loves this church. He writes and he's not buttering them up. He's not trying to flatter them. It's just so clear he loves this church. And you know it. I mean, like, when someone loves you and they don't want something from you, but they just genuinely love you, I mean, that opens doors, right? I mean, that that opens the doors of our hearts. Like, there's a connection there that's made. I, I mean, when people love me and they want to be with me and they want to spend time with me and they don't want anything from me, I mean, those are generally people that I want to spend time with. Those are the people that have influence over me. And so it's no wonder that Paul's influence over the Thessalonians was so great. It's because he's so clearly, it's so clear and evident that he loves them. So Paul plants this church. The story of this planting is actually recorded in the book of Acts. Acts chapter, Acts, Acts chapter 17 tells us the story of Paul and company planting the church in Thessalonica. But here's how the story goes. Like They're on their second missionary journey. And they come to this northern part of what we now call Greece. And they come to Thessalonica. And the year is about 50 or 51. And Paul spends about three weeks there preaching the gospel. And, and Acts tells us that people are coming to faith in droves. Like Jews are coming to faith. Gentiles are coming to faith. It says that there are some prominent women from the community who are all becoming part of this church that Paul's starting. But very quickly, people from the community They don't like what they see happening. And so you don't have to turn there, but Acts chapter 17, verse 5, we'll pick up and we'll read how the community there responds. It says that they formed a mob and they set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason where the church was beginning to meet and where Paul and company were staying. So they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, meaning Paul and his, his crew, when they could not find him, they dragged Jason... And some of the brothers before the city authorities, some of the brothers meaning the fellow Christians, they dragged them out before the city authorities. And they were shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So less than a month into this church's birth, into this church's life, the church is so on fire. The church is moving and shaking. People are coming that a riot breaks out. And the people who are head of this riot tried to cancel this. Like it's one of our earliest indications of cancel culture. They wanted to stop what was happening here. And so they started saying that these, these men have turned the world upside down. They're throwing things into upheaval. Well, the church, the leaders, Jason and his crew, they know that this is not good news for Paul and for company. So they actually send Paul and company away very quickly at night. So Paul doesn't have a lot of time to fully flesh out like all the finer points of Christian theology for this church that he started. They, they need to leave. And so what we see is that Paul writes back to them very soon after and he gives them further clarification on things like our eternal hope, that Jesus is returning, what it means to be a Christian and how to live like a Christian. In fact, Paul writes back twice. There's two letters, but for this summer, we're just going to look at the first Thessalonians. So let's, let's walk through our text together and see, see what we have. So Paul and company, they write to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And they say, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. This, for Paul's time, was a standard opening. But it's very clear to see that even with a standard opening, Paul loves these people. We give thanks to you, or thanks to God for you, always, for all of you. Constantly mentioning in your prayer, Paul is just further emphasizing how much he loves these people. So I just want to stop right here, and um, I, I just want to point out something. Like this is how Christians should speak to each other. Like, this is how Christians should talk to and about one another. See, Jesus Christ, the night before He died, He told His disciples. I'm going to give you one command, just one, love each other. If you guys truly love each other, that love will be so profound that people will know that you're my disciples and it will be such an attractive love, people will want to hear this message. So just the one command, love each other. And Paul here just shows us that he's actually doing what Jesus said. He's just, he's showing how much he loves them. But I know it and you know it that right now it's 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 very vogue for Christians to rag on the church. It's very popular right now for Christians to point out all the church's faults throughout history and particularly right now. And that makes me sad to be honest. Like the is, like Christians are meant to lift up the church. Jesus looks at the church and he calls the church his bride. I don't know about you men, but nobody gets to talk negatively about my bride. And so when Christians do that about each other, we're doing, about doing that about the bride of Christ. Listen, I know, like we, part of the reason that Christians will rag on the church is to try to win points with secular society. Right? To try to get ends. But Jesus does not smile when, when people rag on the church. Listen to me, the world knows that we're not perfect. Yes, it's okay to announce and, and to remind people, yeah, we're not perfect. No one says we are. I'm not saying we are. We're not perfect. We have a perfect Savior. We are an imperfect church. But listen to me. The world doesn't need Christians to keep reminding them how much we have faults. Like we don't broadcast for the world all of our strengths. Right? We don't flex on social media all the great things that, are, that we are doing as a church. That, that single mom whose bills we're paying for right now. Or that family that's utterly broken right now that we are providing counseling for. Like, we don't go and put it on Facebook, the fact that our deacons will go and, and retrofit an old couple's, older couple's deck so that it's wheelchair accessible. Like We don't broadcast all these great things that we are doing for the world because we don't do it to get noticed. We do it because we love God. We're trying to follow him. We love our neighbor and we love one another. Like I wish now sometimes, like I could point to all the thousands of ways that I see people right before me. I know some of the great ways that our church is actually doing things in the name of Christ in your own lives. So Christians, choose very wisely when you choose to demean the church. Because there is so much good that is happening I think we need to highlight that, right? If you have a problem with something that the church is doing, by all means, take it to your spiritual leaders and do that before you take it to social media. Paul shows us right off the bat how much he loves them. One thing that a church should feel from Christians is love. And yes, Christians should feel from the church that they are loved. I wish more Christians would lift up the church because I think we're doing some pretty awesome things. Does Paul call out the church at times? Of course he does. Yes, he does. But he always does it from a place of complete love. He doesn't call out the church to flex how culturally engaged he is or to show the world how he knows better, to earn, earn points from a woke world. When Paul calls out the church, listen to me, he speaks to them, not about them. And that's a great model for us to follow. Paul affirms and he lifts up this church. He goes on to say, remembering before God and Father. And actually, in the original language, the, the phrase here is really beautiful. It's like, it's constantly mindful. Constantly mindful, uh, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Right, right off the bat, he's saying, you guys, you're working at your faith. You're toiling in love. You've got strong hope. He's just lifting them up. He's showing us what our faith in Jesus should be like. He says, for we know, brothers, and don't get hung up on this word. In the original language, this could mean mixed company, brothers and sisters, or maybe you could say siblings nowadays. Like We know siblings in Christ who are loved by God, affirming the fact that they're loved by God. He says that God's chosen you. And he says we know this because you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. We know that the Spirit is alive in you, that you're doing exactly what Christ has called you to do. I wish we could say that about all the churches in America. I want that to be said about this church, and I think that we're actually doing a pretty good job at it. Are we perfect? Nope. Didn't say that. We have a perfect Savior. But I think, Peace Church, you are doing a great work of faith. I think you do labor in love. I want to affirm some of the longtime Peace members who have just rolled with the changes so gracefully that we cling to our hope that when we see the world turning south, we know we have a Heavenly Father up north who is keeping us safe. We hold on to that hope. We own the fact that we are loved, that we are loved by God. He says, I know you're loved by God because you just don't talk the talk. You walk the walk, showing that the Spirit is alive. And he goes on to say, you know what kind of men that we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Spirit. Men in the house. I mean, do you live such a godly life that you can call people to imitate your Christian walk? Well, we'd say, "Oh no, that's that's too prideful." Okay, let's get all over that false humility. We are meant to be example setters. Men in the house, women in the house. You are meant to live such a godly faith that yes, you can point to people. You can point people to your life and say, "This is how it's meant to be. This is how we're supposed to follow the Lord." As long as we're empowered by the Spirit, right? You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. He's like, "You know that we were tried and true, and who we said we said we were." For your sake, you became imitators of us and the Lord. Paul, do you see this? Paul just says, you've imitated us and the Lord. He puts himself on the same plane as the Lord. To follow Paul and his crew is like to follow the Lord. But here's why. Because they received the word in much affliction. But even in their affliction, they still had the joy of the Lord. Paul, of course, is referring to when that church was birthed. That when the birth of this church happened, that a riot broke out. That immediately from day one, people were against what what God was doing in their lives. But yet they still moved forward and they had hope the entire time. Because you want to be like Jesus? Suffer for your faith, but hold on to your hope. That's what it means to imitate Christ. And that's one thing about the Christian faith. Like We say from the very beginning, this is not an easy road. To follow Jesus is going to put you in opposition to the ways of the world at times, and they're not going to like it. They're going to hate you for it. But we follow our Lord because he's better. And even when affliction comes, we can hold on to the truth of God's word and to the hope that we have in the Holy Spirit. You became examples of us. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Again, together, that's basically what we call Greece nowadays. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, your country and surrounding countries, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not to say anything. This is what is so unique about the Christian life. I said it before, I said it again. Affliction and trials is part of this. Opposition from the world will happen as we stand for Christ and for his teachings. But for too many of us, for too many of us, we're living a life trying, not trying to please God, but trying to appease the world, to try to stay relevant, or try to stay socially engaged. Or we're trying to get people to like us, right? We're not trying to please the Lord, we're trying to appease the world. And so what will Christians do? They will trash the church to win points from a secular society, they will laugh at holiness, We'll distance ourselves from anything that we think the culture might reject or hate us for. But the Thessalonians, they faced affliction from the birth of their church, and yet they held on to hope. And their example spread far and wide. See, when you try to appease the world, your influence is going to be dead on arrival. But when we stand for the Lord and hold truth to his word, well, that's a testimony that spreads Paul is saying to this church that your testimony is so strong that it speaks for itself. And I think this is in part because no one of the Thessalonians needed to qualify God's work in their church by also acknowledging their faults. They just said, Jesus is alive, he's doing something, and we're going to respond. And that made waves. Their faith was so strong that the entire country and the next country took notice. Because they're focused on their faith, not on their faults, and because of this, they became examples to follow, and so should we. He goes on to say, "For they themselves, the surrounding countries, report concerning the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living, and the true God. The proof of their receiving the gospel, the proof." of the fact that they were Christians. The proof that they had was that they turned from a former way of life to serve the living and true God. That this is what they were known by. That they had a new focus in life. They had a turning to God. I wonder, I wonder, Peace Church, what are we known for? Now, in our growing church, and our growing community, one thing I, I still think is true, and I say that because I grew up here, is that in large part, we still know where people go to church. You run into people at the store, at the gas station, I think still there's remnants that we still know, oh, that person goes to this church. Oh, that person goes to this church. Remember that. Especially if you are a member of Peace Church, you represent this church wherever you go and whatever you post. What are we known for? What are you projecting about our community? Like they weren't trying to find their individual identities and stand for their freedoms. They were more committed to the kingdom of God than to their own little kingdom. I wonder, what are we known for? I wonder if we, as a church, if we took everyone's social media posts, everyone's social media posts from the last six months, and we categorized them. I wonder if Jesus would make the top three. I mean, what are we showing the world that we are most concerned about? Church, this is, this is a call out to us. Like, they, the surrounding countries, knew that God was alive in Thessalonica, because they had turned from their former way of life, that they now had a new focus, that they were kingdom-minded people now. They no longer walked in the old ways. They walked in their new ways. I mean, can we show that qualitative difference in us? What are we known for? I want to be known what they were known for, that we've turned from our former ways and that we now serve the living and true God. Don't you? I do. I do. And so here we go. He says that their lives are marked not just by service to the living God, but also a new hope. And that was to wait for his son from heaven, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is so much in this verse. There are three profound things that the world will find major opposition to. Did you notice them? Here we go. Number one, Christ is coming back. Amen. You know what? Paul gets into this in in some pretty good detail. And we're going to get into this in a few weeks when we come to that point in this passage, in in this letter. He says that Jesus was raised from the dead. That Easter actually happened. It's a historical event. That the miracle happened. That Jesus physically walked out of the tomb. That changes everything. And he also says that Jesus delivers us from the wrath that is coming. God's wrath. And I, I know it. I know it because every time we talk about it, I see it. God's wrath. You know what we often get, or at least what I often see, is this like eye roll. God's wrath, come on. He is all loving, Pastor Ryan. It's not the 1600s anymore. We don't need to hear about God's wrath. We're not scared by that. Yes, yes, you're so enlightened. But here's the thing. What makes God's love so great? I think some of you might say, well, because he's all loving. Okay, well, let's, let's do a little thought experiment here. Today is the unofficial start of summer, Correct. You know, I say we just throw that out. Let's just say this is the official start of summer. I don't know why it's got to be unofficial. Let's, today's summer starts for me, okay? We good with that? So, thank you. So, one of the things that I always look forward to during the summertime is the fair. Uh, and one particular aspect of the fair, and that is the food. What's some of your favorite fair food? Hey, somebody. Cotton candy? Elephant ears? French fries? Deep fried Milky Ways. (laughs) All right. You do you. Deep fried Milky Ways. Someone in the last service said um, French fries covered in vinegar. Ooh. Wait, was that a yes or no? I I can't. Yes? Like that? All right. Who's uh, elephant ears? Let's go with elephant ears. Okay, elephant ears. So let's say you go to the fair and you go to the elephant ear stand. Okay, and you go up and you get an elephant ear. And you walk away and you're like, I feel so special. I have an elephant ear. And you go up to someone and you're like, I have an elephant ear. I feel so special. They say, well, where'd you get it? And you say, from an elephant ear stand. And they say, that's kind of what they do. (laughs) They give out elephant ears. That's kind of like their their only gig here. It's not that special. To get an elephant ear from an elephant ear stand. I wonder, is it really that special to be loved by an all-loving God? Isn't that just kind of what he does? And thus we expose our hand and how short-sighted we are when it comes to the nature of God. Is God all-loving? Yes, but that's not all he is. God is also all righteous. That justice is not just a social construct. Justice is a real thing that really, we can really violate a standard of right and wrong. That God holds that standard and yet he sees us all perfectly. He sees us all perfectly. That should scare each and every single one of us. That he looks at us and he sees us completely The perfect God sees us perfectly. He sees us wide open. He even sees the things in our heart that we don't say or post. He knows those thoughts and he sees that we are so imperfect, that we are sinful people, that we constantly violate his standard of right and wrong. And God is a God of justice and he will hold to account every wrong that's been committed. That if you've been wronged in this life, God will hold that to account. But he will also hold to account everything that you've done. And so, if we have that sort of God, a God who looks at us rightly, perfectly, sees our sin, rightly, perfectly, will respond to that sin in wrath, because we deserve it. Now, if that God loves us still, now that's a special kind of love. When he doesn't have to love us, but yet he loves us still when we deserve his wrath, but yet he offers us his love, okay, now we're talking. That is the type of God that changes things. A faith in that God should move our mountains. And so, when we talk about those who are loved by God, like this isn't just some all-loving, ethereal being out there who can't do anything else but love us, that's not special. But if we have a God who is all-loving, but yet is all-righteous and loves us when we don't deserve it, now that's a love that calls us to our knees in praise. Now that's a love that calls us to fill our lungs with song and sing out, even if we have a terrible voice. The Thessalonians, they knew this. And this is why their testimony was so powerful, because they knew the God who loved them still, even when they didn't deserve it. And they said, how could we give our time and attention to anything else? And so they turned from their former way of life to serve the living and true God and not just serve him and have lives change, but they lived in this love. They lived in it. And so as we start summer this weekend, I know that I'm Typically the type of pastor who loves to give like scathing challenges for us and call us out of our comfort zone. There's a time for that. But today, as we launch in the summer, church, family, and friends, I just want to leave you with one thing. We who are loved by the living and true God, live in that love. Live in that love. Whatever you are facing. Whatever uncertainty you think is before you, whatever the state of your marriage, whatever you have going on in your life, live in that love. As the sun shines on you this summer, let that be a reminder that God's love shines even brighter. As you lift up a glass today for our fallen heroes, remember our Savior who gave his life to give us not just freedom, but salvation, and live in that. For we are loved by God as long as we are in Christ. But that's where some of you would say, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. And you know, anytime someone tries to debate me with, with the Bible, and they, they throw out a verse, do you know what one of my most immediate responses is? Finish the verse. I mean, we should make t-shirts that say that, finish the verse. Like, Finish the verse. Yes, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. That they won't have wrath. That they'll have love. That Christ has come to pay our penalty, to die on the cross, to give us salvation, to take our sin. For if we don't, accept the the free gift of grace that God has given us, then we just await the wrath that is to come. That God most certainly, righteously, will pour out. But if we are covered in the blood of Jesus, knowing that he has already paid the penalty for our sin, then what do we have left to experience but the love of God? That in Christ, we are brought into the promises of God, that in Christ, we are made part of God's family in his church. That in Christ, we can say that we are loved by God. That we can have hope. That we can be mindful of this love at all times. That this love cannot be retracted. That those who are in Christ are there forever. That God will hold you and he will hold you fast. And even when you falter on this side of eternity, God will not let you go. Because Christ has already paid the penalty. That no matter what you have, before you. You have a God who loves you, who is holding you still. Amen. Would you please stand and let's pray. If you are in Christ, then you are loved by God. So live in that love. This summer, feel it, experience it, and rest in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your one and only son to die in our place for our sins, to take our penalty that we deserve. That when we deserve wrath, you poured it on your son so that you would offer us salvation. Thank you that Jesus has assumed our penalty for us. Father, when we give ourselves to the world, we know that the world will let us go. The world will leave us behind, but you will hold us fast. So Lord, would you fill this place and fill these people with your spirit that we might sing back to you in worship the love that you've so freely given to us. A love that we don't deserve, but yet you pour out on us. And I would pray that by the power and the presence and the peace of the Holy Spirit, we would sing of that love as we live in that love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Church, let's sing together.